Luke chapter 2, familiar passage about the shepherds, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 8. I remember when my wife and I, we'd been married a few years, I don't remember how long, but when we were first married, we lived very close to both my parents and her parents. So one Christmas, and I don't remember why exactly we made these arrangements, but we said, we'll go to my parents first, and then maybe one or two o'clock in the afternoon, we'll leave my parents and we'll go to my wife's parents' house. Well, we forgot that my wife's brother is about nine years younger than she is, and so we were newly married, but he was still a teenager, and he was really, really eager to open his gifts. He, he, they were there under the tree. He knew they were for him. You know, he's one of these guys, he's counted all the packages, And his parents said, you can't open them until Scott and Christy come over. Well, that was like torture. (laughs) Knowing the gifts were there, knowing that as soon as we showed up, we're going to start this gift opening part and and having to wait. And I know some of you young people, you know that there are gifts back home for you and you just can't even wait to open them. Now, some of your parents, you let them open them this morning because you have morning children. They were up before you were, you know, pounding on the door. Hey, when are we going to start the gifts? I come from a family of evening children. And they were all up way past my bedtime last night. And uh, they were up this morning. We got here, no problem. But uh, we didn't open our gifts yet. So I'm going to keep this intentionally. I'm going to keep this a little bit shorter so I can keep all of your attention. And frankly, I have noticed as I've been singing and just looking at the joyful faces how many of you are distracted by the babies that are in this room? Which is fine. You, you be distracted by babies. They're way cuter than I am. That's for sure. And I'm glad to see all these children here this morning. So not a complaint, but uh, we'll keep this short. I want to begin by wishing you all a Merry Christmas, a very Merry Christmas. And I mean that sincerely. And I want to take this morning as we look at Luke chapter 2 for a few minutes to explain to you why it is that Christmas is a merry holiday. Why do we say Merry Christmas? We don't say that about hardly any other holiday. I don't know that we say um, Merry New Year, right? We don't say uh, Merry Fourth of July. We don't even say Merry Birthday, right? But we, we still associate Merry with Christmas, and I want to explain that to you through the uh, message today. I think it'll help if we take a, a modern-day story, a made-up story, that sort of parallels the true events that are here in the Bible to help you get an idea of why this is such an exciting day. Christmas Day is such an exciting day. And as I'm thinking through this, the the closest parallel I could think of was uh, a night watchman. Have any of you ever had that job at night? Now, they've replaced a lot of these guys, I understand now, with cameras. But before cameras and this connectivity became such a big deal, they would hire people to stay up all night and walk around buildings and make sure doors were locked and make sure lights were on and make sure people weren't on the property that weren't supposed to be on the property. Any of you ever done that job as a night watchman? Okay. I understand that it's either really boring or completely terrifying. (laughs) There's just nothing in the middle. Either nothing is going on and it's dark and everyone else is asleep and you're wandering around, or there is something going on and you don't know exactly how dangerous it is, and, and that's the terrifying part. Well, I sort of suspect that being a shepherd in first century Judea was sort of the same way. Yep, somebody had to stay up with the sheep all night, protect them from the wolves. Maybe there were other responsibilities, keeping the sheep from wandering off, other responsibilities. But 
pretty much it was boring, unless, of course, wolves or rustlers showed up, and then it was terrifying. But it was mostly just boring. So you can imagine the shepherd's surprise one night when suddenly there's an angel announcing to them that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then it says there was a great light and there was a multitude of angels all saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to man. Let's read that account here, Luke chapter 2. I'll read it out loud. You just follow along as I read out loud. Luke 2, 8, and there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. They were really scared. But the angel said unto them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Father, thank you for this passage. Good news to all people that there is a God in heaven who is glorifying himself by sending his son, keeping his promises, giving us a savior. Father, because you do have good will toward us, because you do desire our peace. And so, Father, as we look at these verses this morning, I pray that we push out the, the thought of the gifts that await us or the meal that awaits us or the time with family and loved ones that awaits us so we can direct all of our attention onto your word and understand what it means and understand its application to our lives. And particularly, Father, for those that have not yet received the gift that you offer to us, that gift of eternal life, we ask for their salvation this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine you're one of those night guards. And about the most exciting thing that happens to you uh, uh, overnight is you have another night guard on the property next to you and you get together and you chat for a little while. Maybe you share some hot coffee or some hot cocoa during the middle of the night. And that's about as exciting as most nights get for you. And you've wandered over to talk to your friend You're both sort of bleary-eyed. You both wish you could be in your own bed asleep. You both want to be anywhere else but in the dark, in the cold, in the middle of the night, when all of a sudden there's a bright light and an angelic being that has an announcement for you. You can imagine that you would begin to worry. Maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me. Maybe I'm hallucinating. Now you say, well, every century believed in angels. Well, no, that's not true. The book of Acts tells us the Sadducees didn't believe there were angels. And these fellas, these shepherds very well could have been working for, a, for an owner who didn't believe in angels and he only hired people who didn't believe in angels. And suddenly there's an angel. He's got a message for them. And then there's a multitude of angels. And they're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It was so exciting for these guys that they said in verse 15, it came to pass when the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. We're going to leave our jobs. We're going to leave these sheep. We're, 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 everything else has suddenly become unimportant. We've got to find out if this is true. Well, what was this message that God had for the shepherds that got them all excited, that caused them to leave what they were doing and go to Bethlehem and find out what it was about? Well, first it was about a gift. The gift is talked about in verse 11, for unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
we, we tell each other, we wish each other Merry Christmas. And Christmas is merry because it's a reminder that God sent us a Savior. He sent us the Savior. He sent us our Savior. A Savior is someone who rescues us from our sins. To save, to rescue. That, that idea of to save or to rescue implies somebody's in trouble. I read a tragic story this week about a, a 29-year-old man. He was on a jet ski with his girlfriend or wife. I, the story wasn't clear, but there was a woman on the jet ski with him, and they had tumbled out of, off of the jet ski. And for some reason, they were having trouble getting back onto their jet ski. There's a hint that maybe intoxication was involved, but they were having trouble getting back onto their jet ski. And a fella and his wife in a pontoon boat saw that they were in trouble, and so they puttered over there, and they pulled them out of the water. They saved them. And then the man got belligerent and, and was, was yelling and, and just being nasty. So the woman he was with pushed him back into the water. <laughs> Serious, true story, pushed him back into the water. Well, he's there floundering, and, and they pull him out again. And this time he lunges for the owner of the pontoon boat, who has a gun, and he shoots the man dead. I don't know, though. That, that's a crazy story. I wish I knew what really happened that day. But here was a man, you pull him out of the water twice only to shoot him. That doesn't even make sense. But you understand the idea of rescue means somebody is in trouble. Why did God send us a Savior? Because we were in trouble. We were in trouble. We like to think of ourselves as not in trouble, especially us men. We like to be self-sufficient. We like to think that we can do it on our own. Right? My wife says to me, something's broken in the house. And I think, I don't even need to ask anyone. I know how to fix this. That does not work well. <laughs> Moved into this new house. How hard can it be to hook up a washing machine? Got a couple of hoses. Got a couple of spots where those hoses get connected. Can't be that hard. Ask my wife. I had water spraying all over. <laughs> now, this is the funny part of the story. I call my friend who's much better at this than I did. And he said, have you tightened them completely? I said, they can't be any tighter. And so I tighten them a little bit more and they work fine. <laughs> we like to think we've got this all handled. We like to think we know and we don't need any help and we don't need any advice. But you know what the truth is, men? We're in trouble. Women, we're in trouble. Children, we are in trouble because there is sin. Sin is anything I think, anything I say, anything I do that breaks God's law. That's the trouble we're in. Now, I don't know exactly what happened on that pontoon boat and those men and the fellow who went into the water and, and got out of the water and was ended up shot, but I can tell you there was sin involved there. And that's the problem with, you wonder why there's so much hurt in our world, why there's so much anger, why there's so much friction and, 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 and hatred towards each other. It comes down to pride. It comes down to our own sinfulness, our own selfishness. That's our problem. And we were never going to save ourselves. The Bible tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. That by the deeds of the law, no man will be justified. That's what the Bible tells us. There's no way we're getting out of our problem by ourselves. But here's the good news. God sent a Savior. A Savior who is going to save us, who is going to rescue us from our sin. That person is Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate. That's why today's a merry day, because God sent us a Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Notice the next word, uh, the next third word there, which is Christ. Christ. That word Christ, Greek form of a Hebrew word, Messiah. That's actually an anglicized version of the, uh, of the Hebrew word. Messiah. 
the one that God said, this is the one. Later on, God the Father will say about Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's God's one, Messiah. Now, the fact that God sent a Messiah reminds us that not only is God a savior, but God is faithful. He keeps his promises. How long, or when was the first, let me ask the question this way, and this is a rhetorical question, but when is the first mention of this Messiah, God sending one to save his people, when is the first mention of that in the Bible? You have to go all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to when Adam ate the fruit and sinned. When Eve took the fruit off the tree and she ate some and she gave some to Adam and Adam said, sure, why not? I don't care what God said. I think that this is a good idea. As soon as sin entered the world, God the Father promised a Savior. About 750 years before Jesus was born, God also told us where that Savior would be born. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, I'll read it to you. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall, shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of, from, of old from everlasting. Just as God predicted 750 years before, on this day, we'll call it Christmas Day, when Jesus was born, when the incarnation took place, when, when that event happened, God kept his word from 750 years before because God can't lie. And God's will cannot be thwarted, can't be stopped. Now, I don't know about you, that brings me a whole lot of hope because there's a lot of promises in this Bible that I'm holding on to. And every single one of them God is going to keep. Just as he sent his Messiah, his Christ, he's going to keep his other promises as well promises as well. So Christmas is Mary because God sent a savior and Christmas is Mary because God is faithful. There's another word, very last word in verse 11, Christ the Lord. This word Lord in capital L here in your Bible, it's translation of a Greek word, which in the New Testament almost always refers to God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one true God who made heaven and who made earth. And what did Jesus do? He laid aside the glory of God. He did not be God. He didn't put aside being God. Don't misunderstand. But he laid aside the glory of God so he could take on a body, a human body like you and I have, so he could be truly God and truly man. When I think of that, I think of God's great humility. I think of that verse in Romans 2, if God be for us, who can be against us? And Christmas is merry because it's a reminder that God is for us. God isn't our enemy hating us, hoping we mess up so he can judge us. Now, we'll talk about God's judgment a little bit later on, but God doesn't, is not eager to judge anyone. In fact, we read John 3.17, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. God is for us. Christmas is a reminder that God is for us. It's a reminder God was willing to humble himself even to the point that he took on human 
form. He became a man. We call it the incarnation. That's what we celebrate today. The incarnation that God would humble himself and still truly God become truly man for our sake. That's God's gift to us. That's what we celebrate. The first gift that we've ever been given Excuse me, the most important gift we've ever been given, the first and priority, is that God gave us his son. And why did God send his son? Well, he tells us that in verse, uh, in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. What was God's intention when he sent his son? God intended to bring praise and to bring honor and to bring glory to himself. You know, we can struggle with that. Why does God get all the praise? Why do we always have to be worshiping God? And we struggle with that as long as we have a very small view of God. But when we see God through God's word, when, through the Bible, when we see God in his greatness and in his incomprehensibility and the, the fact that he's beyond our understanding, then it becomes much easier to praise him. That's why this multitude of the heavenly host, they just broke out saying, glory to God in the highest. God deserves our praise, and you know that. And I know you know that because you're here this morning and not somewhere else. You could be somewhere else. You could even just be at home, still in your pajamas. Who doesn't like to be in their pajamas? My mom was telling me that she was substitute teaching at a a public school. They have pajama day at school now where you can go to school in your pajamas. And who doesn't like to be in their pajamas? But you said, no, no, it's important enough to me to get dressed and come and worship God. God deserves our worship. God's intention in sending his son was to bring glory and honor to himself. Second intention he had is also in verse 14, and on earth peace. God wants peace with man. Now, it doesn't take much thought, much awareness to say, now, preacher, you might say that God wants peace, but I don't see a whole lot of peace. There's not peace between nations. There's not peace between individuals. There's not peace between families, communities, ethnic groups. There's so much turmoil and hatred. There's no peace. Well, again, let me remind you, the reason there's no peace is our sin. It's not God's doing. It's not God's will. It's not God's who, God who is making it hard for us. It's our own wickedness that is bringing the lack of peace into our world. And God offers us two kinds of peace. Romans 5 talks about both kinds. The first peace that God offers us is peace with God. This is the most important peace you can have this morning is peace with God. That is peace between you and your creator. Now, the only thing that keeps us from having peace with God, the only obstacle to peace is sin. When I insist on having my own way, In fact, I heard of a a band playing on Christmas Day, I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. I don't have, have the foggiest idea what that has to do with Christmas, but I thought this, that is our human expression, isn't it? I did it my way. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's how much God wanted peace with us. I went my way. I said, I'm going to do this. My, I don't need God's help. I don't need God's rules. I can do this on my own. That's what sin is. 
my pride, my selfishness, my self-sufficiency. And God said, listen, I love you too much to leave you there. I'm going to send my son and I'm going to take all of your iniquity, all of your sin, and I'm going to put it on him so that we can have peace with God. Do you realize that you can have peace with God? True story, I understand. Guy hunting in North Carolina, the hills of North Carolina, about three years after the Civil War was over. So I'm going to guess this was 1868. Fellow was up hunting in the hills of North Carolina, and he came across, in a very remote area, he came across a cabin. There were a few crops planted around it, a little pin for just a few animals. And uh, so, curious, didn't see any roads leading into this house or away from this house, a sort of odd place to, to live. He went up to the door and he, and he knocked, and it was really quiet. So he kept knocking, just, he knew someone was there, there was smoke coming out of the chimney, but no one was answering, and finally someone said, who are you? And he announced his name, and they asked him this question, is the war over? It was a couple of deserters from the Confederate Army. They didn't want to fight anymore, but they knew if they went back to their homes, back to their families, they might get caught, so they went out to the most remote part of, uh, of the country that they knew, and they built a little cabin there, and they'd been living there for years to escape um, uh, the draft, being drafted into the army. They didn't know the war was over. You know, I sort of think some people don't realize the war with God can be over today. You don't have to keep fighting against him. He is not your enemy. He's your creator, and he wants to welcome you into his family, but you have to receive that gift by faith. Like those Confederate soldiers, you can go off into the woods and Put your head in the sand and close your ears and not listen to what I'm telling you today and think that somehow God is your enemy. God is not your enemy. God is for us, as I mentioned earlier. And he wants peace with us, so he gave us his son. There's not only peace with God that God wants everyone in this room to have, that, that assurance that your sins are forgiven, you have eternal life. You are God's child. God wants that peace for all of us. But also, God wants the peace of God to rule in our hearts. The peace of God ruling in our hearts is that calm assurance that God is in control, even if our circumstances say God is not in control. Our circumstances seem that way. It looks that way. The human eyes, the human heart, the human comprehension says, look, there's too many crazy things going on in my world for there to be peace. But you know what? When you have the peace of God ruling in your hearts, you're, you have that calm assurance that God indeed is in control, even if the th circumstances around, around you are out of your control. True story, in the uh, uh, Boxer Rebellion in Asia, over 100 years ago now, there were literally dozens and scores of Christian missionaries who were killed by Chinese people who misunderstood their intent, thought they were there to, to subvert the country, to, to, to bring the country to ruin, and they were worked up, and, and they just started killing everyone, that, all the foreigners that they could find. And many of those foreigners were Christian missionaries. Boxer Rebellion. The news came to Hudson Taylor. He was in charge of the China Inland Mission at the time. He was in Australia. And he was doing some preaching there in Australia when news came that literally dozens of missionaries, people who he knew personally, people he had personally recruited, people for whom he had been praying, they were dead. And the man who brought him the news thought, you know, he's just going to be broken by this. Uh, it's, it's the end of much of the work that he has he's poured his life into China. It's the end of much of this work. He's just going to be broken. I'm going to give him some time to grieve. And he just left the room. And he was surprised to hear Hudson Taylor singing to God. He went back into the room. He said, now, 
want to make sure you understand this is, this is bad news. Hudson Taylor says, yeah, I understand the nature of the news. But Hudson Taylor explained, God is still in control. Hudson Taylor had that calm assurance that even though circumstances said God has lost control, things have spun out of God's grasp, and now he's trying to desperately to, no, 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 God is never desperately trying to get your circumstances back into his control. He always knows exactly what's going on. And you can have the peace of God on earth, peace. You can have the peace of God even when there is no peace in our community, even when there is no peace in our in our nation, even when there's no peace between you and maybe another family member, because the other family member determines that they're going to be nasty and aggressive, you can still have God's peace in your heart. That calm assurance that God is in control. Do you have the peace? Do you have peace with God? And do you have the peace of God? Because that's God's intention, verse 14. And on earth, peace. Finally, goodwill toward men. Goodwill. God wants what's good for us. God wants what's best for us. Now, this can be hard to reconcile because, again, circumstances around us aren't always good because of sin. But God is so good. God is so good that he loves us and he wants to bless us and he wants to save us. That's why he sent his son. But God is also so good that he must judge sin. Because if God did not judge sin, he wouldn't be a good God, would he? If people could go around destroying his creation and wrecking relationships and harming people and hurting people and never have any consequences for that, God would not be a good God. Now, not all the consequences for sin are in this life, by the way. There will be people, there are criminals that have gotten away with evil for years. And they're convinced in their minds that they got away with it. They're never going to be caught. But as I mentioned last night at the Christmas Eve service, God sees everything that happens, even in the dark, and he knows exactly who is guilty and exactly who is innocent. And everyone one day must face God's judgment. Here's the good news. If you and I face God's judgment alone, the bad news is we have no hope. But when we face God's judgment in Christ, that's where our hope is. Because I mentioned earlier, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the Lord hath laid on him, the iniquity of us all. And when we're God's children, we too will stand before God one day and he's going to look through the books and there's going to be a book there called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in it, your name is going to be written and he's going to find your name and say, yep, your sins were already paid for when Jesus died on the cross. Enter into glory. It doesn't matter what you do. Let me make this really clear. It doesn't matter what you do. You don't need to come to church here regularly. You don't need to give in the offering or be baptized, or some other action. There's no action for you to take. You receive this gift by faith, believing that you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place, rose again, victory over death. He has victory over death. He has victory over sin. He has victory over hell. He holds the keys to hell in his hands. When we, by faith, believe that there's nothing I can do but that Jesus already paid the penalty for me, we can have that gift of eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Christmas is another demonstration of God's goodwill toward us, that he really does want what's good, that he wants what's good for us, that he cares deeply about us. And that's why Christmas 
is a merry day. Scotty pointed out last week, we sang the song again today, God rest ye merry, gentlemen. God rest ye merry. God wants us to be merry today, to have that uh, enjoyment, excited feelings of enjoyment and gladness. Because number one, God sent a savior. God is faithful and God is for us. Do you know that Jesus is your savior? Are you confident that whatever happens, when you stand before that throne, that judgment seat, that God's going to find your name there in the Lamb's book of life and say, welcome into glory. Not because of what you've done, not because you're a good person, but because Jesus Christ died and rose again for you. That's the first thing. Secondly, do you have the peace of God today? I know some of your, some of your circumstances I know. We've talked, you told me. And there's some real turmoil swir- swirling around you. There's turmoil even in your family. There's turmoil at your work. There's turmoil where you live. There's turmoil in your community. Maybe there's even just turmoil in your own head and your own heart as as you experience life. Here's the good news. God wants all of us to have not only peace with God, but he wants us to have the peace of God. He wants the peace of God to rule in our hearts. so We have that calm assurance that he's in control no matter what. I want you... Here in a few minutes, when we close, I want you to go out and enjoy the day and have a Merry Christmas. Because again, God is sent a Savior, and God is faithful, and God has goodwill toward us. God is for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather and sing your praise. And again, you're such a good God. You sent your Son to die in our place. But you didn't leave him in the grave. No, he rose again, and he now sits at your right hand, and he intercedes for us. What a good God we have. We love you. We thank you for your goodness to us, the way you pour out your blessings on us. You pour into our hearts that peace. So even when there's turmoil around us, we can have your peace. And so many of us have experienced that this year. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have peace with you, they're not your child. They don't know that their sins are forgiven and that they have eternal life. I pray, Father, that today would be the day of salvation for them. 